Hi, this is Sarah McCaslin with the Forgotten Sheep Podcast, and this is part three of Amy Carmichael, the Irish missionary to India. And when we left off last time, Amy was just departing from Japan. Uh, she had been a missionary in Japan, one of the first Keswick missionaries, and her health had been affected. She was afflicted with what the locals called Japanese head, and so they felt that it was best to send Amy temporarily to another climate in order for her to regain her health. Amy ends up in Ceylon, and from there, Amy feels led of the Lord to go to India. Amy didn't bother to talk to the missionary board about any of this, so, you know... They were rather surprised when their missionary, who's supposed to be in Japan and on a furlough to another area in order to regain her health, is suddenly is working in India, but that's what happened. I'm not saying Amy was right in not consulting the missionary board, but in the end, everything worked out according to the Lord's will. So Amy ends up in the southern part of India in a region known as Tamil Nadu, a uh, very southern tip of India. And there she begins working with a gentleman colloquially known as Walker of Tenevli. This was a very godly missionary and his wife who were very committed uh, to the cause of missions, very committed to spreading the gospel. And so Amy begins to work with them. And her primary area of working is with a little group called the Starry Band. And what the Starry Band uh, who they were, were young women converts uh, of Indian nationality. And so Amy would travel with them in what, what they called a bandy cart. It was a wagon pulled by oxen. And she would travel with them in the bandy cart and was learning the Indian language. And they would witness and they would go to different festivals, uh, Indian festivals, Hindu festivals. And they would witness and they would carry the gospel wherever they went. And this was very hard work. It was very uncomfortable. There was a lot of heat. They didn't always have access to water and food like uh, they might have preferred. But nothing like that's going to stop the starry band. So that's where we're picking up with Amy, uh, Amy in India. Now, one of the nicknames that Amy got while she was in India in her early years was the picture-taking Missy Amal. Amy had a camera and she would use it to take pictures of the locals, of the young people, uh, of older people, of anybody that she could get to hold still for a picture. And one of her pictures is rather disturbing. It shows a Hindu, uh, a Hindu, I believe it was a priest, the Devadasi, uh, holding a small child. And that kind of is a good segue into one of the major areas that Amy's work is about to take. So Amy is sitting on the porch at their compound there in Tamil Nadu. And a little girl, probably about five years old, comes walking up, comes up the step. Amy's never seen her before. And she just crawls up into Amy's lap and makes herself very comfortable and introduces herself. And then proceeds to tell Amy her story. And this was Amy's first direct encounter with a terrible practice that had been going on in India for hundreds of years that thankfully the Indian government has put a stop to, and that is temple prostitution of little girls and young women. So what would happen? Um, female children were not greatly valued in India. 
which seems to often be associated with many cultures, but it was uh, in India. They weren't they weren't valued, and then to make matters worse, if you were a widow, uh, if your husband died, for many years they would simply burn the widow with the husband's body. That was outlawed. That was made against the law in India, and so widows then were just treated as. I don't even know of a good word, of a good word for it. Imagine that you are a woman and your husband dies, and suddenly, all you lose all your rights. You don't have a right to any property. You don't have a right to own anything. You're forced to wear a different style of clothes. You're stripped of all your jewelry. If you're lucky, you go to live in a shed on your son's property. This was what women had to look forward to. Okay, there weren't options for being single and having a career. That just wasn't there. And then if you got married and your husband died before you, you were destined to be treated as off-scouring. So, many times widows, if they had baby daughters, they would sell their baby daughters to the temple, thinking it was a better life uh, for them. They would be paid money. Uh, families that were impoverished would sell their baby daughters to the temple, their toddlers, Again, uh, they would be paid for the child. And what, what a lot of people may or may not have realized is basically they were selling their child into temple prostitution. Little girls as young as five years old were performing acts. And this brought in money for the temple. And it's, it's horrifying. It's something we don't... Uh, we don't like to talk about in quote-unquote polite society. However, this type of human trafficking still goes on in the world under different names, not always associated with what a religion. But there were all these little girls that were being trafficked, human trafficking, sex traffic. A lot of times um, older women would serve as intermediaries to gain access to these children. These older women were often... Uh, had been temple prostitutes themselves, and they would teach the little girls what they needed to know to ply their trade. And this little girl crawls up in Amy's lap and is just telling her all about the stuff that she's learned and how she had tried to kill herself because she was so unhappy and about how she had escaped and all of this. And Amy firsthand got a glimpse into the horrors that were temple girls, temple prostitution. And Amy was about to become very familiar with what they did and how they uh, gained access to these girls. Well, this horrified Amy on so many levels. And the Lord put a burden on Amy's heart for these little girls. And so that became a large part of Amy's work. Now, um... Amy was also very active with a missionary group of ladies called the Starry Band. Uh, I don't think I've talked about this yet in the um, podcast. If I have, please forgive me for repeating myself on this, but this is also uh, rather important for us to get an overview of Amy's work. So the Starry Band were local young women and older women that were Indian converts to Christianity. And so some of them were widowed. Uh, and had fortunately been able to find safety with the missionaries, uh, find safety and support. 
Some of them were young women uh, who were unmarried. Some of them were young women whose husbands were Christians. And so Amy would go with these young ladies in what they called a bandy cart. It's a little wagon with, I think it's got two wheels, and it's pulled by oxen. And they would travel around to different villages, and they would talk to ladies, and they would witness to them. They would go to different uh, Hindu uh, festivals, and they would be there uh, selling their pamphlets and trading their pamphlets and their books uh, right alongside the other sellers. Uh, they would be there witnessing to people. And Amy said that uh, the missionary work was very, very hard. So many times, she said, when missionaries would write back home to England or Ireland or the United States or wherever they were coming from, they would try to present a rosy picture of how the missionary work was going. And Amy wrote a book uh, called Things As They Are. And the missionaries, many, many missionaries reacted violently to Amy's book. They said they didn't like it. She dealt with facts. She said, people back in our home countries don't realize that you may spend hours and hours and hours traveling and witnessing and get no fruit from it whatsoever. You may spend years working and only have a handful of true converts. You may send back uh, word to your missionary society that you have a church that has 50 attendees, but you don't mention that only about five of them are really living a Christian life. And she said people take for granted that it's as easy us in a it culturally it is it is easy for a Hindu to get saved as it is for a um, uh, an atheist to get saved in England. But she said there's no comparison the dangers that the Hindus would face when they would get saved. Many times when a young woman would profess conversion to Christianity and be baptized, she would just disappear off the face of the earth. Or they might say, we sent her off to relatives. Or even worse, they would give her a poison that would affect her mind. Or they would terrorize her. Uh, young men and older men, just men, that would convert to Christianity from Hinduism might lose their entire family, have their family taken away from them, have their business taken away from them, have their life threatened. And the same is true of Muslim converts. And Amy said people need to know these facts if they're going to pray for us. Amy was always more interested in people's prayers than she was their money. And she said, if you're going to pray for my work, I want you to know how difficult it is. I want you to walk with me through this so you can pray intelligently, so you can pray fruitfully. And she talked about the depression that many missionaries struggle with and how disheartening it is to work and work and work and see so few results. And her book, Things as They Are, angered many missionaries. And they said, you're going to depress people. They don't want to read stuff like that. They want to read good reports. And yet, and yet there was a group of missionaries that stood with Amy and said, this young woman is telling the truth. These are things as they are. And in her book, Amy dealt with the subject of temple prostitution. And can you imagine trying to deal with that subject with an audience that is primarily Victorian England? And Victorian England had its very dirty underside. It had its own human trafficking going on that was uncovered by the Salvation Army and made public through the work of a, a, news, uh, a newspaper man named W.T. Stead. But Amy 
was trying to get people to realize, you need to pray that we can reach these little girls. You need to pray that the Lord will give us victory over the powers of darkness. You need to pray for their minds and their, their emotions to be healed from what they've gone through. And she said, you know, you can't, basically you can't pray for these things unless you know what we need you to pray for. And what was neat is people were saying, well, you're exact, people would accuse her of exaggerating. And um, sometimes eight, uh, locals, uh, Indian officials, and I'm so sorry, I cannot remember the name of the the young woman I'm trying to think of that was an Indian that fought for the rights of uh, Indian widows and temple girls and uh, education. I, I'm sorry, I cannot remember her name right now. But she commented on Amy's book and she said what this what this lady is telling you is true and she said even her description of trying to witness to Hindus is true it's all true this isn't a lie this is an exaggeration this isn't uh, some wild tales that she's telling it's true and so Amy presented things as they are and again reminded people I am more interested in your prayers than in your money and so the Lord opened the door for Amy to have access to retrieve these girls from temple prostitution, to try to get them before the representatives of the temples would have access to them. Now, one aspect of that takes us back to part one. I talked about Amy when she was a little girl praying for the Lord to make her brown eyes blue. She had brown hair and brown eyes and she wanted blue eyes like her mother. And as she prayed and that prayer wasn't answered in the way she wanted, she realized that when the Lord says no, that too is an answer to prayer. Well, Amy wanted to infiltrate a Hindu temple in order, you know, to gain some more understanding of how these children are, how they gain access to the children, what they do with the children. And it turned out all Amy had to do was use some coffee to stain her skin a darker brown, and she passed for an Indian. If she had blue eyes, she would have never passed for an Indian, but because of that, she did. And Amy literally took her life in her hands, entering that temple as a white woman. Okay, of course, to all appearances, she looked Hindu at a glance, but she was a white woman. Had she been found out, she may well have been killed. Another time, Amy came face to face in a meeting with one of the priests that directed a temple that was uh, known for its prostitution. And you wonder what kind of a man would ply his trade in the bodies and souls of little girls. What kind of man would do that? Amy said that when she met him, she had never felt the devil so close. She had never in her entire life felt evil as close as that. Not even when she was she and Masaki-san were casting a devil out of a man in Japan. Even then, she didn't feel evil that close. And she said it was almost as if this man was the embodiment of the powers of darkness. Her conclusion was no doubt that he was demon-possessed. 
And so we have the powers of darkness. We have demons. We have evil spirits that are trying to gain access to these children to destroy them, to destroy their life here on earth and then drag them to hell afterwards. And a band of missionaries, Amy and the Starry Band and the the converts that she worked with were determined to fight this with all of their might and they turned to the Lord and the Lord gave them victory. Amy began to retrieve more and more little girls from these hell holes. She began to uh, help them. They had a place that they could come and they could, it was a neat place. She ended up with uh, uh, Donover is what it was called. And they had nurseries for babies, and they had um, little dormitories for the Indian kids where they would sleep in an environment much like they did if they had been at home. And these ladies, Amy and these ladies, these Christian ladies, many of them natives, would raise these children as their own. They would educate them. They would raise them. They would give them baths. They would play with them. They would pray with them. And these little kids, snatched from the very jaws of, of hell, were given a Christian environment in which they could grow and they could find healing. And more and more kids began to be brought in and orphans began to be a part of this. And then widows. One of Amy's right-hand women was a widow that had been pushed away and widows could come to Donover and they could find they could have a place to live they could have a place to raise their children they could have work they could do and so the Lord in the midst of all this darkness the Lord made a place of light and a place of safety and Amy told a story one time about um, the Lord providing protection for them um, the custom in India was for the little babies to be hung in a little, kind of like a little hammock. Uh, and that's where they would sleep. And they had giant windows on the nurseries. And the windows were left open at night. And that, that was the custom. And one morning when Amy and some of the ladies got up, they saw tiger prints walking between the nurseries. And it would have been so easy for one of those tigers to have snatched up a baby for its dinner and yet that tiger walked straight between those nurseries and didn't turn either way and left the compound and Amy said that there was no doubt angels standing by protecting those little babies and so Amy became very active in working with these little girls and with these babies and with widows and helping them learn that in the eyes of the Lord Jesus, they have value. Society may cast them off. People may push them away. Their own children may forsake them. But Jesus would never forsake them. And Amy was criticized. Uh, she was told that she wasn't doing real missionary work. That all she was doing was babysitting. But Amy didn't let that bother her. Remember that turning point in her life. When she made up her mind that she wanted her life to count for eternity, she wanted when the end came and her works were tried by fire, she wanted them to last. And so she decided that she would do what Jesus led her to do, no matter what anyone said. So people could criticize her. They could tell her she was nothing but a babysitter, that that wasn't really missionary work. 
Amy didn't care. This is what the Lord had burdened her heart with. This was the world the Lord had opened her eyes to. And how, how could she turn away when the Lord had shown her this terrible need? Well, eventually, Amy ended up being Amma, which is, uh, from my understanding, a way of saying Mama. And so, as Adonavir was established and it was growing, Amy's own mom came to visit her in India at Donover. And um, that she had lots of experience in child rearing. And so she was able to kind of help Amy out with some stuff. And she considered these to be her grandchildren. And she loved it. Amy's mother loved it. And she loved to see the work that Amy was doing with the little girls. And if you go on the internet and you search for pictures taken from Amy's books that show the kids, you see all these adorably little fat, happy babies. And you see these young girls. Um, one of my favorite stories was about one that uh, is a little kid. I think she's about seven years old. And she knew, she, she of course she could speak uh, the local dialect, but her English was not so good. And there was a gentleman there visiting on behalf of a missionary board. And he asked her, are you happy here? And she said, yes, no. And he said, well, are you taken care of here? Yes, no. Well, it turned out the only English words she knew were yes and no, and they just kind of got twisted into yes, no. And Amy talks about some of the little girls, and oh my word, how mischievous they were. And it was neat, too. These little kids would witness to people, and they would testify, and they were being born again and saved. And it was just neat that in that place of dark, in a place where there was so much darkness and there was so much heartache and there was so much hopelessness for so many people, that the Lord set up the Donover compound where these people could have hope and a chance. And these kids could be given a chance to grow up and not be entangled in darkness. And there's lots of pictures that show these young women caring for the little kids. Amy said one time she could only imagine if there were a pile of all the baby toenails she clipped over her lifetime. <laughs> but she worked, uh, she and her, her comrades, they worked tirelessly for these kids. And Amy wrote books and books and books and she wrote poetry. And one of her books that is my own personal favorite is called God's Missionary and that's another book that made some people angry and Amy made it clear in the book that it was not intended for experienced missionaries but it was for young people that were considering the mission field and it dealt very plainly with what to expect in the mission field and Amy talked about how if you're going to go out on the mission field you need to be able to pray for yourself and to pray through for yourself because once you're out there, you may not have other Christians around that you can get help from. And you need to learn to stand on your own two feet. And so many things she talked about. But she spent a lot of her time writing. Also, Amy began an outreach to Muslim boys that were being recruited uh, for acting troops, which was a cover for some, uh, I think pretty much a cover for another form of uh, prostitution and so Amy had a compound for boys and she was able to bring in uh, male teachers and male leaders to raise up those boys and so 
it was just so neat the love of God that was literally shed abroad in that place and um, talking about the the boys and the work with the boys Amy had wanted to start a ministry to boys as soon as she found out there was a need and yet she didn't have people for that and she kept praying and praying and the Lord just kept delaying she was waiting until the Lord gave the okay and she was determined to wait and it delayed and delayed and finally everything fell into place and Amy realized that the lead that that time of delay that the Lord was preparing the young men that would come in as leaders for that ministry. They were getting their education. They were getting experience. They were getting saved. And so she learned more about trusting the Lord's timing. And Amy one time said that sometimes the greatest act of obedience is staying put and waiting when you don't know why. And so Amy talked about that he is much a, a soldier of the Lord who goes to battle as he is that stands and waits for the Lord's command. Well, Amy was about um, 65 when some things started to go terribly wrong with her health. They were had a building that was being, uh, an outreach that was being built, and Amy was there to inspect it. She got there late in the evening. It was getting dark, and... Amy fell into an open pit, uh, not seeing that it was there. And she broke a lot of bones. And Amy, so full of life, so full of energy, so full of passion and drive, would never walk again. And she was just broken in pieces and in pitiful condition. And so the Salvation Army was there in India, and they sent a car to go pick up Amy and bring her to their hospital. And they did everything that Amy for Amy that they could. But that fall and the breaks associated with it basically destroyed Amy's health. And so now Amy was bedfast. And I know that there may be some people listening to this that know what that's like. I know I had uh, a sister that ended up disabled when she was very young and she had always been full of vim and vigor and energy and just full of life and then suddenly to be struck down where you can hardly even walk you can hardly even get around when your days are filled with the fog of pain and the medication doesn't seem to cut it that is what Amy went through in fact Amy lived for another 20 years in that condition. And Amy said people would say, Oh, well, the Lord just knew you needed some rest. And Amy said, "That's." She didn't say it to them, but she said later in her books, That's a ridiculous thing to say. That there is no rest when one is overwhelmed with pain. That there is no rest when you just spend your days in a fog and a haze of discomfort and pain and and she there was um a poem that she wrote about the uh i think it was the butterfly on the harrow which is used to break up ground uh preaching joy to the frog or the toad that is trapped beneath the harrow and she said that people just don't understand what it's like to be sick unless you've actually been there. And she wrote a book of devotionals for uh, sick people, for people that 
were sick for a long period of time and they couldn't necessarily get better. It was called Rose from Briar. And it was from basically to her own, from her own personal experience. But Amy could no longer walk. So she prayed and she wrote. And that's when uh, I think when quite a few of her books were written, were written from basically her sickbed. And here was somebody that had given everything to do the Lord's will, that had faced ridicule, that had faced criticism, that had faced hatred, and yet pushed forward. And this is what happens. This is how she ends up crippled, in a bed, unable to walk, unable to do all the things that she loved to do, sick and in pain. And yet Amy still trusted God. She did not understand why the Lord sent the pain, why the Lord sent the disability, why the Lord sent the chronic illness, but she trusted the Lord. Her life had been one of faith and trust in God, and she made up her mind that despite this horrible setback, despite these horrible conditions, she would still trust in God, and that's what she did. And I can only imagine I had only imagined what difficult, what difficulties that must have been day after day after day in that situation. And they said that, you know, many times some of the people that worked at Donover felt like decisions were made that Amy hadn't been informed of. But she did her best to try to keep abreast of everything. And they talked about when little kids would have a hard day or they would be upset, they'd send them in to go visit with Amy. And Amy would be able to speak a word to their little hearts. And they would leave with a smile on their face. And Amy was still Emma to them. She might not be able to run and play with them anymore in the forest. As she would done in years past. She might not be able to wade with them out in the surf at the beach anymore. But she was still their Emma. She was still Mama to them. So Amy was 83 years old when she died peacefully in her sleep. And she had made it very clear that when she was buried, she didn't want any kind of a grave marker on her grave. I don't know why. So the children, the kids that loved her, the kids that called Amy Amma, had a stone bird bath made with her name on it. And uh, it still stands there at Donover. It still marks where Amy is buried, and it simply says on it, uh, Emma, and uh, I believe the year that she, the year that she passed. So, Amy served for 55 years without a furlough, and 18 of those years, Amy was what we would call disabled. So 55 years without a furlough, gave her entire life to whatever the Lord called her to do. 36 books. Some people estimate up to 60 books, including devotionals in a book of poems. 36 books. And I've only got my hands on a a few of those. 
Um, interestingly enough, Amy wouldn't be horrified by this. You can buy original copies for like three to six hundred dollars on eBay. Amy would be horrified, but <laughs> you can also uh, find reprints of some of them at very reasonable cost. But I remember the first book I read about Amy was a biography of her. Now, India outlawed temple prostitution in 1948. And that was uh, due in part to Amy's work and that of, of course, other social activists that were fighting for the rights of these little children. Um, Donover is now a 400-acre community with 500 residents, 16 nurseries, a hospital, and it's run completely by Indians in Tamil Nadu. Now, one of the things that Amy established was an a Protestant religious order called Sisters of the Common Life. And many of the young women and widows associated with Donover ended up becoming members of Sisters of the Common Life. Um, some of the little girls that grew up in Donover, uh, when they grew up, they stayed on as teachers or nurses and also joined Sisters of the Common Life. And uh, Amy and her ministry just had a huge impact in southern India. And um, you know, I've I, when I've presented on Amy before, I wrapped it up with what I call Amy's twofold secret. Why was Amy so mightily used by God? And I think one of them was she practiced an unconditional daily surrender to God. With Amy, surrendering her life to God wasn't a one-time act, a one-time prayer that she prayed at an altar, as important as that is. But it was a continual act. It was a continual thing in her life. Every morning, she committed her life afresh to the Lord. She surrendered it afresh to the Lord. And yes, Sometimes things came that Amy didn't understand, but even in the midst of sickness and chronic illness and disability and crippling injuries, Amy still dedicated herself to the Lord, surrendered herself wholeheartedly to the Lord. And I think a second secret to Amy's success, and I didn't deal with it a whole lot as I've been talking about her life, but prayer was very, very important to Amy. Remember I mentioned that when she would send out news about her missionary work, she made it very clear she was more interested in people's prayers than she was in their money. As much as she appreciated it, it was the prayers that she coveted so greatly. And prayer for Amy wasn't a duty. It wasn't something that she had to do, but it was to her... To Amy, it was the very life of her spirit. Praying for her was as important to her spiritual life as breath would be to our physical life. Prayer was vital. Prayer was where she received guidance from the Lord. Prayer is where she found her heart lifted up when it had been so downcast. Prayer is where Amy would find renewed hope. Prayer is where Amy could find the courage and the wisdom to battle the powers of darkness. Prayer. Prayer is what made Amy's books come alive, 
Prayer is what made Amy's books come alive to me so many years after her death, reading them and being touched and being encouraged to seek God for myself, encouraged to surrender my life to the Lord. Uh, one time someone asked Amy, what does it mean to be a missionary? And Amy's response was, it means a chance to die. And Amy didn't necessarily mean physical death, but she meant death to self. And if we want to live a life of holiness, if we want to live a life that pleases God, if we want our life to have an impact for the Lord, then we need to be willing to die to ourselves, be willing to die to the things that we want in this world, be willing to die to the things that we long after in this world, and be willing to be nothing. Be willing to be treated as the off-scouring. Be willing to be criticized, rejected, and hated of men, but loved of God. And so Amy's twofold secret, I believe, is wrapped up in unconditional daily surrender and a dependence on prayer. And so that's what I wanted to share with you guys about Amy Carmichael. There are so many more things that I could talk about with her uh, so many more miracles that happened and all of that. But l let me just share one more thing. As a, as a teenager, when I read the book about Amy, I was fascinated by this young woman that was so committed to God. I was fascinated by this young woman that was fascinated herself by holiness, that wanted to live right, wanted to live a life that pleased God in every facet of her being. And I was impressed by her commitment to God, and I was impressed by how practical she was. You know, she wrote the book, Things As They Are, in her book. She's so very practical, and she lays things out like they are, you know, and I appreciate that. She doesn't sugarcoat things, and when she would talk to young people about becoming missionaries, she didn't sugarcoat it. She laid it out, what a difficult life you were getting into if you chose to become a missionary. And her books challenged me, and I just couldn't get enough of reading about Amy and reading about how the Lord used her and reading about the kids that she worked with and the young women that she helped and how the Lord was so active there in that area. And I think it's a reminder the Lord wants to use us. We may not all be used in a, a powerful way like Amy Carmichael, but in our own realm of influence, no matter how tiny it is, we can have an impact for the Lord. If we'll do what Amy did, if we'll surrender ourselves to the Lord daily and seek Him in prayer, we can make an impact. And I thank you for listening to this podcast, and I hope you enjoy it.